world. Yes, welcome to Dust Deep Dive. We are going to need a bigger boat. The Australian cricketers are going to need bigger bats. And uh, how do we come out of the Ashes series? We're going to talk cricket today on the Deep Dive. Of course, it is brought to you, as always, by Isuzu Utes, and you can live your own way in the seven-seater Isuzu MUX. We've got a good text on cricket off to lead us off, coming off the top on the temper at Bedshed text line. And if you want to contribute, that line is 0487 736 736. This one comes from John. It's not specifically on the Ashes, but it does pertain to cricket. Hi, Duff. Now that the Ashes are over, the one-day World Cup is in sight. We don't have a one-day captain. Surely Ashton Turner should get a look in. By far the best short-form captain from the last two years. And he shows it with the bat. Thank you, John from High Wycombe. Julian, I'm interested, like, I just get the feeling that, um, and this links into what John has said, I, I get the feeling that often you get a pendulum effect, right? When one regime goes and another regime comes in, clearly the regime under Justin Lang was a very authoritarian military type regime. It, it wore thin on the players. He lost the players, which meant that he's, Position, position became untenable as the captain, but I get the feeling that it swung a little bit too much the other way, and I think this is very much a player-controlled environment in the Australian team now, and I think we're starting to lose our way. I like John's text because I, I think that it indicates, it just reminds us that the dominant force in domestic cricket over the last couple of seasons has been Western Australia, and in that test in at the Oval, the fifth test, by the time we got to that point, we had one West Australian in the test team. The best young player in Australia is Cameron Green. That I think most people acknowledge that. He wasn't in the team. Uh, Mitchell Marsh was, obviously, and Mitchell Marsh had stayed in the team via form from the third test um, at Headingley. But having said that, I just get the feeling we got all bent out of shape with the way we were picking the team. I absolutely agree with John that Ashton Turner should have a role in the one-day team um, getting ready for that World Cup, and and he should be a contender for the captaincy of the one-day team. But I'd put question marks on the way the test team was selected late in the series, and also put a question mark on Pat Cummins' leadership going forward. I think we've got an ageing bowling group, and I think we need to get a batter back in charge of who bowls and who doesn't. And I'd also like to see someone controlling Cameron Green's development as a bowler. Cameron Green burst onto the, the domestic scene as a as a extreme pace bowler. He was a 140-plus quick who was extremely tall, hit the pitch really hard, um, he tore through a couple of domestic teams with his bowling, not his batting. And I think his bowling has gone nowhere since he joined the Australian Test Team. And I would question the way he's been developed because when Cameron Green comes on to bowl overs in the Test Team now, he bowls five overs. It's often overs of halfway down stuff, which means that's what he's been told to bowl. That's almost like give them something different, you know, give them some short stuff, try and shake them up a bit, see if we can pinch a couple of wickets, you know, skied hook shops and that, that sort of thing. He's a better bowler than that. They should be training Cameron Green to bowl at the top of off stump to move the ball each way to get a bit of nibble. Cameron Green should be getting to a point by now with his bowling where if they wanted to, they could pick two quicks plus Cameron Green plus two spinners if they wanted to or plus an extra batsman if they wanted to or even plus another all-rounder like Mitchell Marsh given Mitchell Marsh has had 
a career renaissance. I think our selection for the team has gone skew if, and I think it comes back to Andrew McDonald not being a strong coach and letting the players have their head, and the players getting too much of what they want and not what the team needs. I, I think it's staggering that David Warner remains in this team. This is elite sport. This is test cricket. It's supposed to be the highest form of the game. David Warner has made 54 times in the last 31 innings. It's not good enough. Well, there's a lot to dissect out of that, Duff. And the first one, I'll bring back to your point about the lack of Western Australians in the team. You know the old saying about Australian cricket, right? If you Harder want to, to get be picked for team. a bag of green, you've got to play for New South Wales. Yeah, you get the baggy green with the baggy blue. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Well, it's got a very New South Wales look about it now, mate. There's, there's... It really does. It always has, but it really does feel like the roads of the Australian team goes through the Sydney cricket ground. Um, when you say that going back the other way with Andrew McDonald, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you. And... Do you believe that Australia is the team? Has it found comfort with its identity yet post South Africa 2018? Because it still feels to me that this is a team that, while it may have regained acceptance with the broader public, it, it just feels like it's a team that's trying to figure out who they are, who they want to be perceived as. Because first it was Justin Langer, we're going to be the hard nosed, respected team. Now it's under Pat Cummins. We're going completely the other way when it comes to player power. I mean, case in point, you know, under previous regimes, David Warner would not have survived this series. Uh, could you imagine David Warner keeping his spot under a Steve Wall-led captaincy? Well, my, I don't think so. And I mentioned this when I was talking to Bryce McGain yesterday on the show. I mean, it's the thing is you keep playing David Warner if there aren't alternatives. The leading run scorer in Sheffield Shield cricket, domestic cricket last year, was Cameron Bancroft. Yeah, there's plenty of alternatives. Had, had an outstanding season. Didn't get a look in. Cameron Bancroft and Usman Khawaja at the top end of our order would give us a left-hander, right-hander combination, which would make it harder for opposition teams to settle. Matt Renshaw has opened the batting for Australia before. Now, he's made runs in the middle order for Queensland, but he, it's ridiculous to argue that he's not capable of being an opening batsman. Marcus Harris has opened the batting in Test cricket before. We have alternatives to David Warner. The other thing that leaving Cameron Green out of that fifth test team, robbed us of it, robbed us of our best catcher. Mm. He's a gun in the gully. You know, one catch got put down in the gully. We dropped a lot of catches on the first day. It basically gave England respite when we could have really put our foot on their throat. Three in the first hour. Three in the first hour. We caught badly on the first day and we left our best catcher out of the team. Um, I think it's... I think there are some strange things happening and I think the the authorities need to reassert themselves very quickly because you do get pendulum effects with with regimes. You know, if one person's too tough, they'll try and relax things, they'll try and make it more about the players and enjoyment and that sort of thing. I find it fascinating that David Warner is trying to nominate his end date when he's not making a run. He hasn't made a run since Noah was a kid. Yeah. And 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 he's trying to name his retirement date. I mean, who's running this show? Well, yeah. Clearly, the players and David Warner, the senior players in the Australian team. Because again, I go back to, you know, we, we talk about the golden age of, of Australian teams. So I go back even further. Do you think AB would have put up with David Warner as an opener when he's making next to nothing? I think no and, way in the world. No, he wouldn't. And and Steve War, I think, would have come down on him like a ton of bricks as well. Yeah. And I think Mark Taylor would have found a way to manage it. Um, better than it's being managed at the moment. The Bancroft absence is interesting. 
Because Bancroft, of course, was the person that had the sandpaper in his hand when the ball was being tampered with in Cape Town all those years ago. Now, the other two players involved in that, the captain, Steve Smith, and the bloke who got him to do it, David Warner, they've been forgiven and allowed to continue their careers. Cameron Bancroft did an interview and they asked him about how many people knew about Sandpaper Gate. And he kind of said, well, what do you think? You know, what do you reckon? And the, the bowlers got deeply offended by it. And I wonder whether they're saying, you know, um, you know, we don't really want to play cricket with him anymore in the, in the Australian test team. Maybe, maybe that has been said and maybe that's a factor in Cameron Bancroft's non-selection. You certainly can't do more than Cameron Bancroft has done at domestic level to earn your place in the team. My point about the Australian fast bowlers is that, mate, the public aren't stupid. The notion that you blokes were getting the ball thrown to you, that this had supposedly happened to, the notion that there was actually a team term for what was being done to the ball, which was ball management, they actually had a team term for it, and the notion that you didn't know that anything was happening to the ball. I mean, you can go with that line if you want, but I know what I think, um, and I know what most reasonably thinking people think as well. Yeah. it's It comes back to, well, who's the Australian captain at the moment? A fast bowler. So... There is, a, to me, there's a line that you can draw between that Cam Bancroft interview and his current state as far as the Australian team. And, yeah, it, the people aren't mugs. But they can they can see through this. And it comes back to my earlier point that while it seems like on the whole the Australian team's been largely forgiven, I feel like that one lunch there's still a bit of an identity crisis within the Australian team as far as how they want to be perceived. Oh, they don't I, want to be perceived as that team anymore, but at the same time, we're losing that hard-nosed edge that you can get to a situation where David Warner can basically... He could get a string of ducks and still be chaired off the ground at the SCG in January, it seems. Well, it's almost like they've they've hijacked the narrative to where it is about when David Warner wants to go out and, oh, well, you know, he'll need to make some runs. No, he needs to make more runs than he's made in the past 18 months. Yeah. You know, like this is a long drought. There was the 200 on Boxing Day, which was a great, great innings and probably saved his bacon in the short term. But either side of that, it is a desert of runs, an absolute desert. And the thing, when we were went into bat on that last day at the Oval, someone had to make a ton and the others had to bat around him. The Poms knew it wasn't going to be David Warner making the ton. David Warner getting to 60, that was a better than expected result for us. So, you know, we had to think, okay, who was going to make the ton? Was it going to be Steve Smith? Was it going to be Marnus Labashane? Was it going to be Usman Khawaja? Or was it going to be Travis Head? So all they had to do was get those four out before they got big and England were always going to win that game. We weren't going to chase down enough runs because David Warner wasn't going to get the big ton that was going to threaten that score. In the last three tests, Julian, England played tougher, better cricket for longer than us. Let's not kid ourselves. We won the first two in close ones. That's great. We we got the ashes when the the match was rained out at Old Trafford. That meant we you know it was largely mission accomplished. But England got the moral victory at the end of this Test series. Two two reminded me a lot of 1972. Yes, Julian, I am that old. My go back to 1972. Australia won the fifth test at the Oval in England to get to a 2-2 result in the series. The next series that was played out here in 74-75, 
the the Poms came out thinking they still had the edge on us because they'd retained the Ashes by that 2-2 result. We smashed them 4-1. And I get the feeling that England is coming out of this series better than us. And I think we need to take some steps fairly quickly and fairly decisively to take care of that. I think there's enough time between now and that next Ashes series. I put it this way. If the Ashes was not this summer, but next summer, I'd be more concerned. But there is going to be a considerable amount of turnover between now and the next couple of summers when the next Ashes series is going to be played, not just for Australia, but for England as well. I mean, we already saw Stuart Broad was retired. I mean, Ali is retired again. Um, Jimmy Anderson isn't going to go on. You know, ben Stokes, will he be, still be there? So we're looking at likely two different teams and two different mindsets about that. I'd, my concern is, will the Australians take this opportunity with this upcoming summer against quote-unquote weaker opposition, certainly in the case of the West Indies, but Pakistan as well, to be able to blood that next generation who's going to take you through to that next Ashes series and beyond and, and give Cam Bearcroft a go. That's what they should be doing. The, the changes should be being made now. And whether it's Cam Bancroft or whether it's someone else, whether it's Marcus Harris, whether it's Matt Renshaw, whether it's a young and up-and-coming opener somewhere that we're not fully aware of yet, they need to draw a line in the sand now. You're right. This is the time to do it. England were better than us for three of the five tests in this series. Now, we got what we went for, um, so we can't say it's a failure, but they were better than us for three of the, the five tests in this series. That's Duff's Deep Dive, of course, brought to you by Isuzu Utes. You can live your own way in the seven-seater Isuzu MUX. Make sure you visit your local Isuzu Ute dealer today. We'll be back with more after the break in the Toolkit Depot studio. Remember to shop winter at TKD. TKD.